Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales, and this is part two of two for the Healthy Voices panel discussion. We hope you listened to last week's, and if you didn't, there's still time. Everything lives forever on the internet. Considering advocacy, from your personal points of view, what is the hardest aspect of advocating, and how do you deal with it? I was told not to talk over people and to not interrupt and to let people go first, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> you did none of those things. Dude, I am totally doing that. I am full-blooded Italian. I'm, like, biting my tongue up here. Okay, so I guess we'll go down the line then. Um, what is the hardest part about being an advocate? For me, I'm extremely hard on myself. I believe I have the world on my shoulders and that somehow especially in Orange County where uh, there are a large, a large group of Hispanics, but the taboo, the religious factors, the cultural factors keep a lot of people quiet. I have no shame and I have no filter. So, and I have no edit button. That's, that's what I'm sitting next to. Um, the hardest thing is when I'm hurting, I don't know how to show it. When I'm scared, I, I'd rather get mad I've also suffered from depression, anxiety, and PTSD, and um, I'd rather isolate than helps have somebody help me. I don't know how to say I'm tired, and uh, somebody was it last night? There was talking, or somebody was talking about the, the smile and always, yay! Hey, Daniel, can you do this? Yes, of course. Hey, Daniel, we need that, of course. And I, I've over the years. I've bought into wearing a lot of different hats. So it's either one thing or another. And But coming here is what's taught me. I mean, like, this is my second year, and you guys have taught me that it's okay. Like, let it out. Like, so if you're a little bit irritated, it's okay. We get it, man. Like, go for it. Yesterday, I was like, after the, our session, I was like, I am spent and I was like I'm going up to my room and I grabbed a couple of cookies and a cup of coffee and I was like dig it um <laughs> but makes that easier though I don't want to just talk about the hard part what makes it easier is having a partner who understands that we have to have passion I think about this before in order to be an advocate you have to be into because lord knows we don't do it for the money so you do it because your heart just leads you you there is this inner need to go out and talk to people. Um, and I have a wonderful uh, partner, Christian, who sees me come home and he's like, go lay down. I'm ordering in and here's a cup of coffee. And I'm like, thank you, babe. But the hard part is saying no sometimes. But I, I, a part of me really wishes I never learned how to say it completely. Thank you. Wait, there's money in this? There's money in this? <laughs> Pestles and tacos only. Okay. You got a shirt. I meant in advocacy. I'm only kidding. Um, for me, the hardest part of advocacy is preaching to the choir. I'm sick of preaching to the breast cancer community. I'm hitting a wall. We already know the stories. We already know what's going on. And I'm sure you guys are all feeling that in your own communities. You talk about it amongst yourselves, but you feel like nothing's getting done. And that is how we feel in the breast cancer community. And I'm done with it. 
I want to take it outside to other communities, and I think that's why sitting on a panel like this is so important. Maybe you guys didn't know that you know, people still die from breast cancer and that 138 men and women will die today from it. That's a huge number. That's an epidemic in my world. And I think the more we talk outside of our communities and preach to other communities, the more we in our own communities are going to make a bigger difference. And that is the hardest part of advocacy to me is I'm just sick of it. I'm so fed up with not making a change. Thank you very much. I think a lot of us have felt that at times. I think one of the most uh, difficult things for me is, like everyone in this room, we have a heart to help people, but to actually stop for a little while and take some time for ourselves when we don't feel well has been a struggle for sure. Um, you know, I don't want to let an email go until the next day, or if someone's private messaging me, us on Facebook and is having a crisis and it's two o'clock in the morning and my husband and I are so exhausted, you know, I just feel like I have to stay up and I have to answer this person. And we do. And, but it comes at an expense to ourselves. So I think that, you know, we have to have that time for our self-care and just say like, no, I have to take a little bit, like an hour or two just for myself. And I think that also comes into line with having support on your team and having someone that can stand by you and can help you in those moments that you can just say, something needs to be done, but I just can't do it right now, so I need you to step in and help me. Um, and I'm grateful we have a, an amazing team now, and we have a lot of um, college interns at Lupus Chick that help, and I don't know where we would honestly be without them because my body hates me and it's a hot mess all the time and <laughs> I need help. <laughs> Thank you. Rasheed? I think challenges for me are, are two-pronged. First of all, within the IBD community, again, which I'm very grateful to be a part of, I feel a pretty strong sense of survivor's guilt in that even though I've been through a lot of bad things myself, I am lucky enough to be here. I'm at this conference, I'm on this panel. Uh, earlier this weekend, I think the, the day after I landed, uh, another one of my uh, IBD buddies and I went for a short run along the, the waterfront, along the lake, and I know a lot of people who are not in a position to be able to do that right now. And I don't know why I necessarily got lucky enough to be able to do the things I'm doing and a lot of other folks haven't. Um, so that's always something that, uh, that weighs me down, I think, a little bit every day, just knowing that uh, I'm in a position uh, that a lot of other people might be actually enviable of. The other challenge that I face is outside of the IBD community, and uh, something that uh, Anne-Marie had kind of uh, touched on as well, is getting other people to care getting other people to understand the disease. And I don't just mean other people within, you know, like the healthcare space, the sort of uh, e-health advocate uh, ar arena. I'm talking more people who don't have diseases, all the, the quote-unquote healthy people, the, the normies uh, out there who, who don't quite understand what it's like to live with a chronic illness. I want them to understand. I want them to care. Because for me, um, you know, again, Anne-Marie touched on the, all the pink marketing. That's great even when a small percentage of that money goes into research. From, from the inflammatory bowel disease community, research is hard because we're not getting a whole lot of funding for it. And we're not getting a whole lot of funding for it because we don't have, I don't know, maybe purple toilet paper or purple whatever. Um, so if we can create more uh, awareness, and I'm not saying that we need to make like a purple month and, and have it be all like about you know buying things, but if we can get more people to understand the gravity of the disease, that 
is my hope that they'll care more to donate to, to research. The more we fund research, the better we understand the diseases, the better we understand the diseases, the closer we are to having people live the kind of lives that they deserve. Yeah, just for the record, about 7% of funding goes to breast cancer research for metastatic cancer. So 7%. Thanks, guys. I'd like to ask some individual questions now. And uh, I think I'm going to start with Anne-Marie. You of had, yeah, Of course we are. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> you had mentioned, just in part of your discussion there, that men get breast cancer too. Mm-hmm. A lot of people still don't know that. So did you talk to that for a little bit? Yeah, so when I was diagnosed, um, I met a bunch of really amazing guys. Uh, God rest his beautiful soul, uh, Bill died about a month after I became friends with him. And I, I was like, wow, guys get breast cancer? This is weird. But what is the leading risk to breast cancer? Does anyone know what it is? No. Nope. Having breasts. Everyone's got breasts. So, you know, we know, Michelle. Um, so after I thought about it and I realized men get breast cancer, and the reality is this, men are embarrassed by it. I have a good friend who, when he was diagnosed, he called it chest cancer because he didn't want his friends to know that he had breast cancer because it's a woman's disease. They wait longer to go to the doctor, so their diagnosis is later in life, or later in stage, excuse me, because they're too scared. They're like, what is this? Why is my nipple inverted? Why is there discharge coming out? They don't want to talk about it with their doctors. So this is a huge conversation that needs to happen, first of all, with their health care provider. Their health care provider should be discussing with them the risks of getting breast cancer. I have four boys. Big deal, right? I was sitting in the doctor's office once, and my son was having surgery, and they're going through the list, and they said, is there any cancer in your family? And my son very proudly said, my mom had breast cancer. And it hit me like a punch in the stomach. I was like, crap, this is on his medical history for the rest of his life. But then it dawned on me, I need to educate my children because even though they're boys, not one doctor is going to say to them, oh, your mother had breast cancer? You should really do self-breast checks because it doesn't happen. And we need to change that. It's a really, really big problem. It's, it's bigger than you think. I, the number's not in my head right now. I think it's like 430 men die every year from breast cancer. I think that's about right. That's a big number. I mean, I got four boys. I don't want them going anywhere. And for the record, my sons do do breast checks, and one of them did find a lump, and we did get it checked out. I mean, it's serious. They, it needs to be ch- talked about more. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. We have a question that came from the audience. And, and again, thank you very much for filling out those cards. And one of the questions was, is Kyle here? Kyle? Kyle! Hey. Hey. Um, as we know, Kyle loves to make ball jokes. And, and they're, they're very good ball jokes. And, but you, have, you also make uh, breast cancer jokes. You, you've tattooed your breasts, et cetera. You're very open about it, and we really, really appreciate it. However, the reaction that Kyle gets making fun of his junk versus the reaction that you get making fun of your breasts is very different, mm-hmm. uh, especially online. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I get ridiculed constantly for making breast jokes. And first of all, I can make breast jokes, but you can't make them, just for the record. I just want that to be known. I did not have a boob job. Um, (laughs) I did not have a boob job. This is not a boob job. This sucks. Uh, People want to to take my disease and make it funny. It's my disease, so let me make it funny. I'm sure Kyle feels that same way. I'm not going to talk about balls. I don't have them. So um, I think that when we look at different diseases, especially breast cancer, it's poked fun at a lot because it is a sexual part of the body, and people want to make fun of it. And because we have sexualized breast cancer... 
Others take it on as their own. I have been told that I uh, talk about it in a, in a funny way and that I should stop because if I don't, I'm going to get cancer again. I mean, people are just ridiculous. Yes, 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 yes. Because that's the, how it works. Yeah, because that's how it works. But the truth is, it's okay to make fun of it and joke about it. That's our humor. That's the, what gets us through it. I don't think that it's a problem, but, you know, I don't have nipples, and that's okay. If I get chilly, I can go down to the grocery store aisle, and no one knows. It's all right, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have nipples either, so we're same, same. I, Twinsies. Yes. I also don't have a uterus, so we have Neither that in common I. as well. <laughs> Uh, the next question, we're, we're going to move along, just, just move down the table. Uh, Marissa, we have a, a, a question from you, uh, also from the audience. Uh, how often do you talk to people who have absolutely no idea what lupus is? <laughs> uh, pretty much every single day. <laughs> I feel like in the last few years, it's definitely um, has been promoted more, advertised more. And that is because uh, when Benlista came out, which was the first medication ever designed for lupus patients, um, that really perked up everyone's ears, and now many more um, potential drugs are coming down the pipeline. But it's still very, uh, I think, confusing to people, and there's a lot of misconceptions that are around lupus. I don't know if we're going to touch on that or if I can touch on that Do now. It right now, please. Okay. Uh, so a lot of people also think lupus is just a women's disease. Uh, men get lupus as well. The ratio for women to men is much higher, nine to one. But I think because of that misconception and because men are naturally don't use as many words as women do, uh, they don't vocalize it. And the men that I have met with lupus are very quiet. They don't want to talk about it. Um, and it's been even a struggle to communicate with them, but they have opened up over time, which is amazing. Um, another thing is, and I was actually telling my husband about this this morning, I was reading a survey from lupusuk.org last night, and he said that around 40% of people that they interviewed, and they did a, a worldwide survey, 40% do not feel comfortable holding hands, sitting next to, or sharing utensils with someone that has lupus because they believe they can get it. And that, to me, was incredible. Like, I'm not going to give Anne-Marie lupus from sitting next to her. <laughs> um, but, again, that's why... Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so um, that's why the conversations need to happen, because people do have these misconceptions, and they're global. Uh, you know, if I sit next to you, I'm not going to give you this disease. So the other thing I just want to touch on really quick is... For a lot of people in my family, many, many years after I was diagnosed, finally admitted or even expressed some concern, and they finally believed that I was sick because I went on chemo. And I think when healthy people hear the word chemo, it's automatically associated with cancer, but it's also associated with, wow, now you must really be sick because now you need chemotherapy, which is a very common course of medication in autoimmune diseases. So... That's something else. That's another conversation that needs to be had all the time because people need to understand chemo is not just for cancer. Thank you very much. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. 
Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face -face session. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash psych central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. Betterhelp.com forward slash psych central. So you have a situation where people are virtually ignorant of it. Let's go now to one that a lot of people think they know about. Daniel, how often do you encounter people who think that AIDS and HIV are the exact same thing? Oh, uh, today? No. Um, <laughs> this morning. I'm, I'm very fortunate, and I'm, I'm, I'll clarify, I'm very fortunate that a lot of my advocacy work or where I go present is schools. When I do universities, uh, it's usually a health class. It's somebody who's going to be a doctor, a social worker, a nurse. So they have idea. I will encounter some people who are still kind of like, oh, not the same. No, not the same. Uh, I would say mostly in high schools. And I'm, I'm glad when I go to a high school that they don't know or they're open enough to want to ask questions. Um, just to clarify, when I go in, we do a basic HIV 101 class, just the whole history. And then the second part of the hour is me telling my story of um, having the protected sex very young and um, being diagnosed with AIDS. And that's where their question starts, like, wait a minute, I thought you, would, you can be AIDS first. And then, and so that opens the door. But my story was, has been morphed over the last 17 years to start that way, I, I put AIDS first so that it starts making their brains work. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I thought HIV went into AIDS. I'm like, yes. And so I go that. Um, in the Hispanic uh, market, I, I also do, for people who know, I do Reiki and card readings. So I've been very lucky this year that a lot of radio stations, uh, Spanish radio stations in Orange County, have invited me to do uh, that kind of work. But because people go online and look at my page, they realize that I'm also HIV positive. So it has allowed me to open that door. Into, it's like I say, open the little door and I'm running in. I'm like Speedy Gonzalez. I'll go through there. <laughs> so it, almost every radio station that I go on will have that discussion about HIV and AIDS. So I would say like at least once a week I, I manage to say that in English or in Spanish. Thank you so very much. Thank you. My fan right there. Well, Rashid, it's down to you. When, when we were doing preparation for this show, we, we, we Googled all of your you know, various illnesses, et cetera, so that we could speak on them somewhat intelligently. And one of the things that I was surprised that came up in, in my searching is, did you mean irritable bowel syndrome? I was like, nope, nope. And I did not. Was, yeah, I just... <laughs> Ooh, boo. No, <laughs> no, I mean, it just... And, and it, there was a lot of writing on it from the patient community about, no, it's not the same thing, et cetera. Is this something that's happened to you that you have personal experience with where people think that inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome are same same I've, had, I've seen it a lot and uh, just for the record you can have both you can have inflammatory bowel disease IBD and irritable bowel syndrome IBS uh, the two though very separate uh, very different uh, ailments and again I don't like to get into this which one is really worse but IBD is kind of worse uh, <laughs> and uh, I think the fact that uh, the acronyms are so alike, people are just kind of 
lazy mentally and, and, and they think, okay, IB, close enough, guts involved, close enough, uh, probably going to the washroom and pooping a lot, close enough. Uh, and I get a lot of people who mistakenly make the assumption that I can treat or even worse, cure myself if I just change my diet and if I just have probiotics. And I've tried all kinds of different diets. I've tried uh, gluten-free, dairy-free, no red meat, no eggs, no fun. And, <laughs> and, and it didn't work, and it didn't work, and I still had to have my colon removed. Uh, but uh, th there's, a, again, a, a common misconception where people confuse or conflate the two, and they are distinctly different ailments. Oh, thank you very, very much. All right, so we are at the last question for the panel. How, how, how have we been doing so far, guys? We're not paying attention. There's a show going on right now. Um, all right, so this is the final question. It, it did come from um, everybody here in the audience. It actually came up a few times, so uh, that's why we really, really like this question, is what do you believe that we all have in common? What do you believe that we all, everybody at Healthy Voices 2018, has in common with each other, with our advocacy, with each other, and in our spaces? Go ahead. Start first. Go ahead, Anne-Marie. <laughs> you know you, you want to. I don't even know how You know you to. want to start first. Anne-Marie. Go, Go for it. it. All right. I'll just Do pull it. something out of my ear, I think. Um, well, I think one thing that is really important, and I guess it kind of ties in with why we're on this panel speaking with you two, um, after after everything was over and my, I had my one of my final scans, I was in my doctor's office with my husband and my photographer because everyone goes to the doctor's office with their photographer. And um, <laughs> wait, you don't? Anyways, um, <laughs> my doctor looked at me and said, well, that was great. You did a great job. See you next year. And my husband dropped me off at home and my girlfriend went to work and I sat on the couch and I was like, wait. What, what just happened to me? Did I have cancer? I had cancer this year? And I sobbed. I hadn't cried the entire year. I was okay. I was fine. And I sobbed. I cried hard. Not once did my doctor ever say to me, do you want to talk to someone? You went through a lot. That was a really traumatic experience. Do you want to, do you, is there someone that you need to talk to? Do you want to decompress? We go through a lot. A lot. Emotionally clearly physically, and we need to talk to people. We need to reach out in our community to our providers. We need to ask for help. Ask for it. Because even though the hand is reaching out there, it's really, really hard for us to grab it. And let's face it, people say to us all the time, what can I do for you? And half of it's bull crap. The other, see, I'm not swearing. Did you notice that? <laughs> half of it's bull crap. And the other half of it is real. People really do want to help us. Tell them what you need. I need to go get a cup of coffee. I need to go shopping. I need you to just come over and watch crappy TV. We emotionally need help. I, I definitely needed help after this. This really messed with me mentally. It altered my body. It changed me in ways I never thought was possible. Ask for help, all of us. We are all here. And plus, we all, we all get it, right? Like, we all get this crap show. We get it. And we're all here for each other. And that's the one thing I truly love about Healthy Voices. Thank you so much. Very well said. Thank you. Rashid? In terms of what I think all of us have in common, again, we're all just tremendous, awesome, attractive, witty people. <laughs> uh, never seen so many all in one room, so it's, it's quite a feat. 
I've seen it a lot uh, just over the three days that I've been here. There's just an innate desire from all of us to help one another. And I think that just comes from the fact that a lot of us have been through times where maybe we wished that we had a little bit more help ourselves. So we're, we're trying to be the people that maybe we didn't have. And I'm not a religious or spiritual person, like, at all. And I think that one of the reasons a lot of us are here and one thing we have in common is that we're trying to find a purpose. And in my mind, purpose is not something that's given to you. It's something that you take for yourself and you make sense of it yourself. And I think all of us here have just tried to find a purpose that we can uh, really be attached to. And we're working at that every day. And I mean, I'm, again, I'm just grateful that uh, I'm amongst all the people here. Thank you so much. Marissa? Sure. I think everyone here has, um, we all have a heart to love on people and to help one another. And I think no matter what disease and illness that we're living with, to be able to come alongside a stranger and just say, you know, what's happening? You can talk to me. I can just sit here with you. I can listen. I can help you find the resources or the support that you need. Uh, something that everyone in this room has is the ability to change someone's life in their most difficult moment. Great. Thank you so much. Daniel, take us home. After last year and this year, I've had the pleasure of sitting with a lot of you uh, doing card readings. Uh, so I, I know a lot of secrets. Um, <laughs> be nice to me. Um, I believe that the thing that brings us together, I think that the thing that makes us similar is we all have this fire we, we've all cried, we've all been mad, we've been stuck in quicksand, and, and we jumped out of it. We've been swimming in high tides, and we, we made it to the other end. I think that after all the pain that we've been through, physically, spiritually, after all the mess up in our heads, the doubts, and, and, and not seeing that t light at the end of the tunnel, I think after everything, we don't want other people to go through it. So we, we, we're like that coat that you throw on a puddle so somebody doesn't get their feet wet. And we don't care if we get dirty again. Uh, I, for myself, I, I, I meet young people who are newly diagnosed, and it just breaks my heart that they didn't get the message in time or they didn't. They didn't listen or that their parents didn't want to tell them. And I think that we want, we all want to be parents to some of these kids or we want, all, we want to protect other people. And the only other people that understand that is everybody else in this room because we look at each other and we're like, I know, I know I get it, I get it. I think that the thing that makes us similar is, again, that fire and that energy. And you, when you look at each other in the eye, I mean, you... You saw the day you got here, and you looked, we were just eager. And, and I challenge you, look at somebody in the eye before we leave today, and you'll still see that fire. Like, I just got pumped up for three days, and I'm ready to take over the world until next year. <laughs> so carry that fire. Take that fire with you, and uh, good vibes to everybody. Yeah. Just good vibes. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Rashid, Marissa, Anne-Marie, Daniel. Did I get all your names right? 
Correct. I did it, yes. Thank you to Healthy Voices, Jansen Pharmaceuticals, Johnson & Johnson, the entire tech team for making sure that our mics worked, all the staff who worked to make this live event a reality, finally to our panel, who I thanked at the beginning, so I need to rewrite this entire script, and to our live audience for all of your questions. Bravo. Thank you. So before we close, I'd like to invite all of you to learn more about Healthy Voices. That's mostly for the people listening and not the ones right here. Now you've got to start over. No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> Apply next year for, uh, for the conference. All you have to do is visit www.healthyvoices.com. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at GabeHoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counselor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email TalkBack at PsychCentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.